Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Derek Arden. Derek, welcome. Thank you, Amy. What an honour and privilege to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we've been trying to get together to do this for a while. And finally, I've pinned you down because you're not actually doing one of your fabulous evening chat shows that I've been attending for so many now I've lost count it's just been absolutely wonderful to meet all the different people there but yeah what an achievement you didn't see that coming did you no I didn't see it coming I woke up on the 23rd of March the day of lockdown last year and uh, thought what can I do to help people what resources have I got where I can do it easily and I thought I've got a briefing that goes out to 4,000 people and I know how to work zoom so I thought uh, I would put an email around on the Monday to all my people that get my briefing and suggest we had a five o'clock. To be honest, Amy, I wasn't really, I thought I might be on my own. I had a feeling I might be billing no mates, but uh, 12 people turned up, including a couple of people from the US who are friends of mine, and we had a ball. And I said, should we do it again? And they said, oh, yes, please. And um, I've done 101 now, which I'm hugely proud of, to be honest. And sometimes things happen by accident, don't they? You know, you have a goal, but then you need to switch the goal to something else. And so, yeah, no, so thanks for saying those kind words. I really appreciate that. It's been really, really interesting. There's such a diverse conversations that you've had with different people. And what I also found is, is the dynamics in the room change every time. Yeah, they do. And I've, I've got to tell you, the ones that I've been the most nervous about, and nervous might be the wrong word, but, you know, people like you and I, we do get anxious that we want to do a great job for people, don't we? The ones where I felt they might be the weakest have been the most interesting ones when we put people into breakout rooms. And um, also when I've twisted the arm of one or two great speakers like uh, Patricia Fripp and Shelley Rose Charvet and Peter Thompson, to come on and um, they've all come on willingly they've all answered the questions and um, they have the same sort of enthusiasm that you have to to do your podcast which is uh, brilliant so let's take you back to the 23rd of March you wanted to help people why was that important to you well I think as you get older you start realizing that it's not about money it's not about achievement it's about leaving a legacy and I've been um, really fortunate to meet some huge people my mum and dad clearly encouraged me to uh, uh, step outside the box and uh, and go and meet people and ask their advice and model them before we talked about NLP or any of those um, techniques and and just um, stick around with smart people and I did that and um I joined Barclays Bank. I went to, uh, I got involved in training and helping people at an early stage, but realized that uh, that uh, wasn't going to pay the bills. Uh, but um, so, in between being a bank manager, I did some training and um, it floated my boat, although I couldn't have done it all the time. So, I was lucky enough to do that, lucky enough to uh, meet some very interesting people who taught me a lot of things. And I realized at that point that perhaps I should have been a teacher. And I thought um, thought to myself, oh, hang on a minute, 
you are a teacher really but you're a teacher in financial services or in personal development or whatever uh, it would never have suited you to be a teacher in a school so you are actually pursuing your dream and then I said hang on a minute but I work for Barclays and I've got a ridiculous job um, and I started um, I started studying negotiating because I was in some pretty difficult negotiations with Tesco's and Sainsbury's and people like that and I twigged one day I had these wake up moments these light bulb moments you have in your life and I'm sure the people listening to this if they think back will have had light bulb moments which have changed their life and when I got thrown out of Tesco's in 30 seconds for not reducing my price on a million pound contract and I was trying to work out how I was going to explain this to uh, uh, the chairman of Barclays who took a particular interest in the Tesco account um, that I'd lost the account I thought you thought you were a good negotiator Derek but uh, how good's good enough and frankly you really were in the third or fourth division and I thought well most people are like that in Barclays no one's been able to teach me to negotiating Barclays so I will uh, teach myself and that night I went out and bought a book everything's negotiable by Gavin Kennedy and I twigged this will be a great subject to teach and I had that moment so I studied it like mad it covers every area of interpersonal skills presenting selling pitching whatever conflict management influencing etc all circle around the word negotiate uh, and that's what I did. And uh, I thought, this is for me, but I'm not going to leave Barclays till I can get my hands on there and non-contributed pension scheme as I joined at 17. So I've always been finance minded like, like you, Amy. I know, you know, thinking about the money, you don't want to do something stupid because don't give up your day job is what I say to people. Chase your passion, not your pension, but don't give up your day job until you're financially okay. Because, you know, you hear people saying that my dream is to open a cafe in Cornwall. Yeah, it might be, but you're not going to make any money out of that. So that's just a, a life skills job. So, yeah, so I hang ar hung around till I could negotiate my way out. But in the meantime, I was learning so much about negotiation. And the other funny thing was I kept getting promoted because I knew more about negotiation than my boss, his boss's boss and his boss's boss. So they started asking me... If, for advice, taking timeouts, taking a break, thinking things through, doing your preparation properly, your best position, target position, and walk away. And I realised my why at that point was um, to be a teacher, to help people, to contribute. But I had a lot to learn. So that's taking that's taking it back uh, quite a long way. And you, you spoke about your mum and dad. But giving you that platform to step outside your box and and that was quite an unusual confidence and and insight it was really open-minded at that particular time a really growth mindset yeah I don't know why I've only thought about it afterwards you don't realize the things at the time I was an only child we grew up in Willesden Council Rise northwest London my mum and dad had uh, spent a, five years away from each other uh, uh, my dad in the North African desert fighting Hitler Rommel and my mum working in an aircraft factory build, making spitfires for wings of spitfires to to do all sorts of things as you can imagine and uh, you know I I was um, a late child for them the only child and I guess they um, they were smart people they wanted me to be successful and uh, I think as an only child you've got to get yourself out there because you haven't got any brothers and sisters so you've got to find people and I am a naturally curious person never really thought about that so so they did let me but I remember my mum always saying to me never miss an opportunity 
take every opportunity you can. And my dad used to say to me, you need options. You know, you need options in your life. And of course, when you negotiate, you need options. So, you know, he said, go and get a driving license as fast fast as you can, because you can always be a lorry driver. And then march me down Barclays Bank uh, to get an interview when I wanted to be a cartographer. But, you know, he was right. He wanted to push me into a steady job. And they had a sports ground three miles down the road from where we lived in Ealing. And, uh, of course, I'm a passionate sports person. So uh, I thought I'd stay for three weeks and stay for 30 years, Amy. Um, quite interesting, really. But, you know, I was able to do all sorts of interesting things and not be a boring banker. I was a bit of a rebel in banking, really, as much as you can ever be a rebel in a staid organisation and boring organisation. So, yeah, that was the story. So, yeah, thanks, Mum and Dad. You said that your first book was Everything's Negotiable. Do you believe that everything's negotiable? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. It's my mantra. I'd like to have called my book Everything's Negotiable. In fact, I did call a CD programme that um, because you can't copyright it. I didn't feel a cheat because the writer of the, the book, Gavin Kennedy, is no longer with us. And it's a great title. And I really do believe everything's negotiable. Now, I think sometimes it's not worth negotiating. It's not worth the energy. Um, but as soon as, um, as soon as it's worth a few pounds or whatever you're buying is worth a few pounds, then, yeah, yeah, we should be negotiating. I actually did a poll on LinkedIn. I don't know if you saw that a couple of days ago. And uh, 25% of people said they never negotiate anything. And I'm thinking, you poor people, you know, you're all you're paying a top price all the time. Only about 25% of people said they always negotiate. I think it might have been 20%. And then there was this bit in the middle. But, um, but yeah, so I do believe it. But you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth putting the time and energy into it? And also, you don't want to hack the person off. You don't want to hack the other side off. You know, I just had my roof. I've had my roof or the moss taken off my roof um, and some of the slates put back. Now, you don't really want to hack the roofer off, do you? Because he might leave a few off your roof and then you've got. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a business judgment. And you and I are good at making business judgments. So it's thinking it through, stop, almost saying, why am I negotiating this if this is going to hack the person off and they can do some damage? I've got a little story here for you on, on that, if you, if you want it. I went skiing a few years ago, and the guy that was running the chalet with his wife had been a builder. And we got talking about negotiation, and he said to me, he said, Derek, uh, I did a job six months ago before I came out to run the chalet, and this arrogant, pompous public schoolboy, that's how he described him, um, refused to pay me for £15,000 of work. And he just said, I'm just not going to pay you. So he said, um, when he was away on holiday, and I knew he told me when he was going away on holiday, he said, I went round with a cement mixer and I put some quick drying cement down all his drains. <laughs> now, I know it's probably not funny, but I haven't got a lot of sympathy with people that uh, don't pay their debts. Um, and I just thought, you know, what goes around comes around, and uh, therefore he probably got his just come up since. But um, yeah, you know, you don't really want to hack the wrong people off, do you? By negotiating. So I mean, when when the guy came up with a bill for doing my roof, I thought to myself, everything's negotiable. Do I negotiate him? No, it feels about fair. 
climbing all over your roof is a pretty dangerous thing. It didn't seem that expensive. I like the person. That's another thing. If they're playing around with your house, you want to like them, don't you, and trust them. Um, so I went with it. So, yeah, I still I do believe it, but stand back, take a check out. Is it worth negotiating? So it's about picking your battles. It's similar with toddlers, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, with toddlers. I mean, kids are fantastic negotiators. I'd love to know where they get it from. I had this theory that uh, you pop out your mum's womb, you have a look around and uh, you see that uh, uh, people are being fed, so you cry and you get fed. And uh, that's how some people negotiate through the rest of their lives, isn't it? You know, but, uh, bullies, etc. throwing their toys out of the pram, getting their own way. I've worked for one or two of those. Um, they're coming flooding back to my memory as we... Uh, as we talk about it and with them you do have to pick your battles but you mustn't so um you have to come from a different direction you have to think it through not take them on head on come back and uh think about how you do it in a different way in fact i wrote about that in uh, in my salary negotiation book about the story how i got a pay rise from somebody who was refusing to give me a pay rise but that that's a long story for another podcast on another day fair enough so from your void of lack of negotiation and, and, and not winning that particular contract with Tesco's, you, you taught yourself and you learnt the tools that you needed. And as a result, you then became the teacher. How, how much of a part of personal development, you also mentioned NLP earlier, has played a part in, in the whole of your teaching? Oh, a huge amount. A huge amount. I mean, I think I'm a serial learner. lifelong. I'm definitely a lifelong learner. I'm a serial learner. I always have been learning but I did have a wake-up call at about 38 I'd never bought a self-development book um, until I was 38 and uh, you can see if you're watching this you can see the uh, books on my bookshelf behind or just to describe them there's probably three or four hundred books there so I'm a serial reader taught myself to speed read and so yeah at 30 I had this wake-up call and uh, suddenly got into it and Amy, I have to tell you, I was listening to uh, listening on a Walkman. Some people won't even know what a Walkman is on the train going into London um, to cassettes. And I've still got some of those cassettes. And somebody did ask me what a cassette was, which was a bit sad the other week. Because they, you know, and they were serious. I was doing a talk at university and someone said, Derek, what's a cassette? Oh, oh no, you've lost the plot here, Derek. Be <laughs> Be careful, because I talk at universities. I love talking to young people. It's great. It keeps you young. But sometimes you slip up and say, I think I said, you don't even know what a 45 is. But, you know, that was just too much for them. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. And uh, I've been learning ever since. I studied uh, two NLP practitioners. I took myself off to Harvard to study negotiation under Bill Urey, the guy that wrote the seminal book, Getting to Yes!, um, I went because I wanted, I just, to be honest, I just wanted to go to Harvard. I just thought, well, you know, let's just go to the best um, business school in the world. I mean, I actually only went for a week. Don't tell people that. But, I mean, it was $1,000 a day it cost me, plus, um, plus business class airfare, because um, I don't think you can, I don't think you can really uh, use your time effectively if you fly out the back for a, on a on a red eye or something and of course I took my wife as well so she went around Boston while I was um I was on the course and then we went off down to the Florida Keys because I tried try to mix business with pleasure 
when you can. And that was one of my goals when I left Barclays to be able to spend more time together. Now, because I work from home, she's quite pleased to get rid of me on occasions as well. So it's, that's when we as well. Yeah, so NLP, and I continued to study. And one of the things, and you very kindly meant mention my uh, broadcast and my newsletter one of the things there is it feeds my hunger for learning as well because um, always learning always earning and uh, you came up with some interesting points on Monday which I want to take up with you on LinkedIn which I hadn't realized as well so you know just grab grab as much information as possible and clearly um, I quoted that quote from Warren Buffett which I saw in the paper in the Financial Times on Saturday, which said the best investment you can ever make is in yourself. And that's just so true. And I was reading about Bitcoin scams and all sorts of things going on, which I hate because uh, people want quick get rich quick schemes. And they only get people that get rich quick out of a scheme like that is the people that that sell it. I was reminded of that when I went to Alaska on a cruise and you go to um, my Ketchisan or whatever it is. And, you know, in 1890, millions of people turned up to go gold mining. But the only people that made any money were the people that sold them the picks and shovels and uh, the bar operated the bars and sold food. So. Um, so, yeah. You mentioned that you studied at Harvard and it was with the author who'd written Getting to Yes. And you'd also just mentioned win-win. So what is the, the, the way that you can get to yes and get that win-win scenario? Well, you mentioned three book titles there, Everything is Negotiable by Kennedy and then um, Getting to Yes, which was the book that was written in the late 80s, beginning of the 90s for... Um, basically because there was going to be a nuclear war if we weren't really careful and if the Russians didn't talk to the Americans and Israel and Palestine didn't sort themselves out um, there was going to be something horrible happening and therefore the mindset needed to change that we needed to be more collaborative and that's what the book's all about and in a way and they talk about win-win and my book, which was uh, published by Pearson, I didn't have any say in the title. It wasn't really uh, my idea to call it win-win. But I got a great exercise, which you haven't seen uh, yet, uh, Amy, and we should do it, actually, on one of my chat shows. It's called Two Bald Noughts and Crosses, and it really does demonstrate the value of a win-win, a win for me and a win for you, but also for a win for our ongoing relationship whether that's business or personal or whatever because if we both feel good and it doesn't matter if we feel maybe we could have got a little bit more out of each other but if we're collaborative and we work together like we're doing today then you know two and two make eight um so yeah so win-win yeah um a lot of people want to argue well there's no such thing as a win for me and a win for you well of course there is it might be a slightly bigger win for me and a slightly bigger win for you you won't know that I won't know that and as long as we don't say oh I got a great deal and you didn't which of course is what some people do and make a big mistake in negotiating starting bragging about uh, what a deal they got if you're happy and I'm happy that's a win-win and that's the end of it you know close the sale move on and let's work together 
So, yeah, I think that was your question, wasn't it? I might have just gone a bit off beam. Bring me back if... Um... It's, all, it's all fine. I, I just wanted to take you back to that moment where you said that you were going to pursue a dream and you, you called it a ridiculous job. And you were there for a while. And I'm not sure why it was a ridiculous job, but I think you also said that you were a rebel in your workplace. Mm. But knowing that you had this opportunity of teaching and training others sort of almost on the side, like a side hustle, but also part of your job and that it became the dream that you always wanted. What does it feel like now to know that you're actually mentoring and you're teaching as full time retired? Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean, I realised at 40 that I wanted to do this and um, it was my passion. You know, everyone says, well, what do you really want to do? What's your passion? You know, what, what's your what and your why? And you sort of figure it out, don't you? And you can't figure it out and you need someone to help you figure it out. And then if you if you're like you and I, we ask ourselves the questions and then one day it comes to you, doesn't it? And you go, oh, yeah, got it. Why did I miss that? Why didn't I get it? So, uh, yeah, no, I moonlighted from Barclays. I taught at Henley Management College uh, negotiation for 12 years. Eight of those was uh, nipping off from Barclays on a Wednesday. I had a supportive boss at the beginning and a total non-supportive boss at the end. And I remember getting a call on my mobile at 3 o'clock one afternoon in the middle of the coffee break saying, where the F are you? we want you back here straight away. And I thought, well, I'm not walking out of Henley uh, in the middle of a course. You know, I'm not indispensable. So five o'clock, I, I went back to the to the city. But that was pretty uncomfortable doing that. But I was determined that I was going to do that and not let anyone down from the kind of bullies. And I know you're aware of the type of people that operate in the city um that we're operating so um what does it feel like now it feels great it feels great so I set myself a goal to leave at the first opportunity negotiate my way out and I thought to myself if you can't negotiate your way out Derek then no one can and also with a smile on your face and I gotta tell you Amy I also negotiated uh, a maximum redundancy package even though I was doing well because they were moving they were moving the large corporate relationship management into the investment bank for about the third time and they kept bringing it back, couldn't make their minds up. And there was an upless game, so I quietly said, if um, if you let me go with the same package as the uh, people that were um, you were getting rid of, then if and I could help the numbers game, I'm not going to go for another job in finance. I'm going to chase my passion in education. And, uh, yeah, they said, OK, as long as that's the deal. That's fine. And then, then I went to the outplacement people because there was an outplacement. I asked uh, the guy I knew in HR, head of HR, who I knew really well, and there's nothing like networking and knowing people, is there? I said, how much are you paying for this? They're useless. He said, oh, I won't pay £6,000. I said, well, they're hopeless. I've interviewed three of them, and they don't even come back to me. There's a sort of arrogance to it. I said, how about um, you paying for me to um, go to Harvard and, chase my dream which will cost you less than the six thousand pounds and um he said well yeah okay but well, we're not paying your hotel bill we're not paying your airfare but if you get the invoice sent to me at Har from harvard then i'll quietly pay it and so so that's what happened and i haven't told many people that story because i don't want to let this guy down but he's well retired and i am i don't like the word retirement by the way i never use it i mean i i say to people i'm on my 
second career, which I am. You know, I didn't never saw, never thought. I only thought I'd stay for three weeks, not thirty years. So, um, time to move on. It was, and that was it. Some of my pals still talk about the bank. I just see it as someone that I gave a lot of my time to. And it was a mad job because I was getting a train at 6.30 from Woking and getting home about 8 o'clock at night. That's what I thought was mad about it, the demand. And I think if, like me, and I know you are, if you're dedicated, you can't not do the job properly. You want to dot the I's and cross the T's. And therefore, that kind of stresses you. Lots of people talk about stress management and anxious, and I was, but um, the only way I was going to deal with it was to um, move on at the right time, which I did. So I hope that answers your questions. And anyone listening to this should think about what they're going to do in the future when they can. Don't give up the day job, but invest your time in uh, studying and learning for what you want to do afterwards. Life's not a rehearsal. That's what I was going to say. Life's not a rehearsal at all. And as as your dad said, never miss an opportunity and give yourself options. Yeah, absolutely. Really important. So you mentioned earlier that you're passionate about sport. Yeah. How do you feed that passion? Well, I was a good hockey player. I played uh, county hockey and uh, I really got a buzz out of it. And uh, I didn't stop playing till... um, till I was 44, but I was going downhill and I'm an achiever. Well, I wasn't going downhill. I mean, obviously I was getting slower, but I was going down. I was playing vets hockey and I wasn't enjoying it. And the skill levels weren't there that I'd been fortunate enough to, um, you know, studying NLP, of course, I always wanted to model the best. And um, I went to Ali the physio, who you've met, who comes on my show. I've been going to Ali the physio for over 30 years. We've almost grown up together. And I said to Ali, Ali, I want to, um, I still want to go skiing. I still want to play golf. I still want to go cycling. Um, I'd like to play hockey, but this is not doing my back any good. And she said, well, Derek, if you seriously mean that, my advice is to stop now. And I was devastated by that. That was a real pattern interrupt to me. I said, you don't mean that, do you? She said, yeah, I do. You asked me the question and that's the answer. She said, I can keep putting you back better, but if you want to do these things for as long as you can, then stop now. So I did. At that moment, I stopped, didn't play again. And I thought about picking up a hockey stick once or twice because the brain thinks the body's younger than it really is, that mind-body connection. Um, so I, um, I didn't. And so I still play golf a bit, but I got a bit bored with golf. I'm a bit nervous about going skiing now with dodgy knees, but I still go cycling and exercise. And I go and watch Arsenal and I got a season ticket. Um, I got a season ticket at Arsenal. So I get my buzz there. And um, talking about mental and visualisation, when I'm there, I'm on the pitch. I'm on the pitch in a hypnotic trance, really. I guess that's what psychologists would say. Um, out there moving you know I'm sort of like this you know and past there past there and all the rest of it and I can get emotional about it and like a bit of emotion so yeah it's good it's good so that's how I get it really um, from uh, going and watching a football match uh, where you're attached to the team. Talking about emotion you said you like emotion how does emotion play in the negotiation 
side of things? Oh, 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 that's a great question. Um, You need to take the emotion out of the negotiations. And that's what I do when I coach people particularly. So um, particularly with a a house that you're selling or particularly with um, your salary. That's why people are useless at negotiating their salaries as well. Um, And so the emotion needs to come out. You need to stand back and look at it or float above it and that's why coach can really help so I, what have I done recently I've helped to uh, help somebody sell a business which he was involved it was a family business so he didn't really want to sell it but he had to sell it and he only had uh, one buyer and the buyer was winding him up as you can imagine trying to get the cheapest price and so I'd taken the guy on a course he called me can you help me and uh, we met we sat down my map the issues and um, I told him that um, this is what he needed to do. I told him, actually, that it, the, the buyer was in Northern Ireland. And I said, you've got to fly to Northern Ireland, meet him on his own territory, take him a present, have lunch with him, pay for the lunch, mirror him, match his body language, and um, up his deal. And I said, you'll probably up that because you'll play on his emotions, being a good person, etc." And he took his non I said, you can take me if you like. But if they Google me, I look on LinkedIn with my name and there's a risk of that. They'll know exactly where I'm coming from. And, and you don't really want that because they'll think you're up to up to no good or up to some tricks. Um, so he took his non-exec who was 80, uh, who'd been involved in the business for a- ages. He, he was an emotional man. He wanted him just to sell it. He was nervous that he was going to sell it, not sell it. And the, the buyer would pull out. So I told him how to handle him, keep him quiet, take him out, take a time out. Um, and they did that, and they got an extra two hundred thousand pounds for the business. So, um, so that was good. I wish I'd have charged him a higher fee, Amy. But it was one of those views that I took, um, and I failed miserably to get a percentage of the difference that I can make. So I don't do. I don't even go there. If somebody wants to use me, I'll give them the best advice, charge them a win-win fee, and uh, get them some more money. But you are absolutely right about the emotion i mean there's an insurance claim i'm dealing with somebody at the moment uh, he's a builder something went wrong with the build properties he was building you can imagine the furor and the, so he got really emotional you're criticizing my work and all the rest of it so all i've done really is floated above it listened to all the facts and said to him looks dave like you haven't uh, given the insurance company all the information they want. I have, I have, I have. Dave, just looks to me like you haven't. And if you resubmitted it in the format they wanted, they'd have a real problem. Anyway, so I had to persuade him to do that. He's listening to me. And that's going to mediation on that date of the 29th of July. Whereas his lawyer was saying, sue them, take them to court, we'll see you in court. And I said, Dave, you need to find out how much that's going to cost. And he found out that was going to cost four, could have cost him £400,000 and he might have lost it on a £1.6 million insurance claim. So you're right about emotions. Take the emotions and take the ego out of negotiations because uh, the second, third and fourth word of the word ego, uh, negotiation, is, of course, ego, which is a great, fabulous reminder of, um, yeah, de- de-emotionalising. And that's where... I help people, or that's where someone listening to this could 
just go to a friend that they trust and talk it over. But someone that they would trust that will be non-judgmental, which is why some people need to use a mentor or a coach. But, you know, if you've got a real real friend that you can trust by just talking it out, it will help like any family situation. I was going to say, no, I was thinking about on the broadcast on Monday, there's that nice guy, Michael, who talked who talked about his um, his brother not talking to his son and getting really emotional. So I put, um, I talked to Martin on Tuesday and I put Martin in touch with Michael and Martin's had a similar problem where his brother said, I wish you were dead. I'm never going to talk to you again. And now they're, they're best friends, but gee, where's, you know, emotions don't help, do they? Don't help the world go round. So do you think, Derek, there's a third career in the making somewhere? Or <laughs> Whoa. Well, I don't know, actually. That's a very great, that's a great question. You do ask some great questions, Amy. Um, I fulfilled my ambition of um, not working for Barclays and teaching and proving I could do it and speaking um, after about 10 years of doing it. And then it gradually changed. But then people come to you with some odd requests. And I've always believed um, that the answer is yes. And I can say no later. But if I say no straight away when I could probably do it, then you can't say say yes later. So I don't know. My business has changed from, you know, from teaching to perhaps giving advice as a consultant. Um, And my ambitions have changed because I've... um, I've actually fulfilled my ambitions in both the banking world and, if you like, the speaking world. Uh, You know, I was president of the Speaking Association and chairman for five years. So, yeah, maybe, maybe. I think it's all about helping people. That's where you get your buzz from. That's what uh, builds the adrenaline, doesn't it, and gets the dopamine going and uh, all those chemicals that fly around in our brain. I'm up for anything, but it's got to be helping people and I think a chat show is great I think I might have gone mad if I'd never done that and I've met some really interesting people people I knew and knew people like you so I feel like a whole new bunch of pals friends whatever you want to call it I tend to call everyone friends I'm all I'm all right with that you know um generalization but yeah all good all good just to put some context into how we met you judged me on my speaker factor entrance last September. So that's where we first met. And then I reached out to you afterwards to get some feed forward on how to improve because I won that particular final final for the, well, no, it wasn't the final. I won yeah. that particular event for yeah. Southeast region and then went through to the final for October. So I reached out for some advice and for some criticism that would be a constructive criticism that I could take forward. And, and thereafter, I started attending your Monday night chat shows. And at the time, you were also doing a Thursday kind of mastermind session because you were putting towards some ideas together for a, a book that you were thinking of writing. But it's, you just have to take these opportunities, as you say, and and ask for help. I'm not afraid of asking for help or for advice. And I think because as you are, I am a massive lifelong learner as well. Mm. I mean, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't ask, you don't give the other person the opportunity to say yes. And actually, in in learning, most people will love to help other people. They've just got to put themselves out. And a lot of people just won't put themselves out. Um, 
you know, it's quite interesting. You've come on the chat show ever since because you're a lifelong learner. There are some people that have come on the chat show once. And say, oh, that was great. That was great. And we'd never seen them again, which is which is interesting. Um, and the only investment, because it doesn't cost any, cost anything, cost me a bit to run it and time and uh, and um, paying for it to be uploaded on YouTube and, and the podcast, it doesn't cost them anything except time. Now, it's interesting what they will do. I'm curious what these people do with their time because to spend an hour uh, having a bit of fun as we do, don't we? There's some really interesting people on there. I know you've interviewed some of them um, for your podcast. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious about that and I'm curious why people don't want to learn. And I have noticed that the people that continue to learn, continue to contribute, contribute to help other people tend to live longer, tend to have a more fulfilling life and tend to be fitter and more mentally agile. So let's do it. If, yeah. that's, if that's what happens, let's have some of it. Bring it on. Bring it on. And that's what I'd say to anybody that uh, asked me for advice. Somebody look, asked me to look at this, um, a young kid's CV today, and I had a look at it, and I said, What's he want to do? What's he good at? Um, and what's he want to achieve? Um, he needed one of your questions, Amy, you know, why are you on the planet? But the thing was that Peter, my pal, who asked me to look at it, is a bit of a red in psychology, and he's more likely to go straight up to this poor young kid and give him a right rollicking, where actually he needs to go very gently with him find out what it's all about find out what his family situation is before he gives him a bit of nudging on the why yeah but uh, yeah no it's interesting isn't it and uh, i think we should all be helping people like you do and like you do with your podcast etc sometimes for um, nothing for some no fee and sometimes for a nice fee depending on uh, on the circumstances and the and the situation. I still love that quote from Patricia Fritt, which I have to say, um, which is better to do something for nothing than nothing for nothing. Did I get that the right way around? Sometimes I get that the wrong way around. It's better to do something for nothing than nothing for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to encourage one or two people to become non-execs of this charity I've got a lot of time for, and I can't persuade them. Um, and I don't know why, but it just depends where you're coming from just depends where you're coming from i give them a lot of my time and you know when you're giving people a lot of your time you start becoming a bit too close to it and someone did say to me once you can't be a preacher in your own town and i wondered why people wouldn't listen to me on negotiation in barclays even though i'd um even though i'd studied it like mad and it's of course you can't be a preacher in your own town people won't believe you but you can go out and talk to people you don't know and they think you're a genius well not a genius but uh, think you're the business no, you're the absolutely right about that because when I first started doing personal development I was so excited and oh I must have driven everybody crazy in this house because I was preaching from the rooftop saying guys everybody needs to do this this is the best thing ever this is going to change everyone's lives and in the end, I worked out that actually just by doing and then they're watching and seeing me doing all of this would be a much easier way to prove my point. So I zipped up and just got on with it. Yeah, I really don't know what my son and daughter think about me. I think uh, um, I think they've gone a bit crazy. I must tell you this. So um, 
When I joined the Speaking Association, I went and found the uh, 10 top people in the Speaking Association, about 250 people, asked them how they did it, where they went. And uh, it became clear that the secret was to go to the American Speaking Conference. Uh, uh, without any doubt, that's what they did and see what goes on um, over there. So I did that for several years and Sally came with me and we had a holiday afterwards and she sat around the pool while I uh, went to the lectures. And the deal was, as long as she didn't have to meet any of these weird speakers uh, with massive egos, uh, as little little wifey as some of them were arrogant enough to do, that was the deal. So that was great. That was a great win-win. And then um, after I thought I'd fulfilled my ambition, I thought, what do I do now? What's the what of the why? And uh, there's uh, one of the best speakers in the States, one of the most highly uh, rated business people uh, called Nido Quibane. And um, I'm a bit of a fan of Nido's. And he, know, he knew me because I'd introduced myself to him. And he said um, he was running this inner circle mastermind group in High Point University, North Carolina. And it was $1,000 a month. 12 months and you flew to High Point for two weekends and you had a quarter of an hour's coaching with him on the phone once a month. I thought, wow, you know, if I was going to model anyone, this is the guy. He was the sort of more the Tony Robbins of the business world. And I thought, wow, yeah, well, we'll have some of this. When I told my kids, they thought I was joining the Moonies and I'd gone a bit crazy. And I think they thought I was spending their inheritance when I told them how much I'm I was I was spending, but I just thought I've got to do this. You know, I'm just up for you got to stick around with the smart people and then you get the smart stuff. So what actually happened is in the middle of this, in the middle of the first session, because it was 12 months, my son got made redundant and um, he was really lost and he was treated really badly. He was asked to uh, take his job to India, go out to India, teach the Indians how to do his job, and then he'd be made redundant. You know, there'd be a bonus at the end of it for doing it. Well, they welched on the bonus. So, you know, it was pretty low. He was lower than I thought, and I thought one day I'll persuade him to come with me because you could take someone with you, like your secretary or your PA or something. And uh, I took him with me. So not only did I get the best uh, mentoring, uh, whatever the word is, it isn't mentoring really. It's just kind of being in the right room with the right people. And so did he, and um, which was great. So I signed up for the second year and um, we we went, he came with me for the second year, but I sold it to him as, can you come with me and just take the notes? And he was up with that, not be on it, but he was on the course by being the note taker. And there were one or two other people did the same thing. So that was brilliant, which is why, um, you know, I, my, my favourite uh, quotes, which is one of Nido's or comes from Nido's, that you, you become who you spend the most time with. And then, you know, you earn the average of the six people that you stick around with. And when you think about that, think about it hard, you do. Stick around with losers, guess what? Stick around with winners, guess what? You sort of catch there catch their energy, their knowledge, their enthusiasm. Um, and people listening to this podcast and your podcast will do exactly the same, won't they? And particularly when you can listen to podcasts when you're traveling, in your university, on wheels, your car, or on the train. Absolutely. <laughs> I, fall, I fall asleep on trains now. I mean, I mean well, but I'm, I've gone. I can sleep anywhere. 
Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing why you do what you do. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really delighted to be able to share this with the audience. How would people get in touch with you? Well, my uh, through my website, or I'm saying to people these days uh, through LinkedIn, actually, I mean, I think it's LinkedIn is more reliable than emails because emails get lost. Um, you remember Graham Jones told us that 30% of emails get lost somehow in the system. So um, my LinkedIn is Derek Arden, D-E-R-E-K. A-R-D-E-N. Feel free to send me an email or action at derekarden.co.uk. But I definitely think link with send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll reply and then I'll send you send you some details or just watch the material that I put out there on YouTube on my podcast channel like you do, Amy. Um, delighted to hear from anybody. And as I said, um, I've got a goal to reach out to a lot of people and share the information that I've been fortunate, lucky enough working hard to seek out i'm really keen to share that with as many people as possible thank you for giving me the opportunity of uh, joining your podcast which has been fantastic keep up the good work and i'll uh, see you next monday and if anyone wants to join the uh, chat shows um let them know how to do it for me please amy thank you very much i I will do so i'll put all of those details into the show notes so that everybody can just check how to join the Monday night chat shows or reach out and connect with you. So no problem at all. Derek, thank you. Do you have some final words for the audience, please? Yeah, I do. I do. Amy, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So go out and try something different. If it doesn't work, you can always go back to doing what you do, what you were doing before. Life is changing so quickly. The world is moving so quickly. It's really exciting to be alive at this time at this time, in the development of the world. But to keep doing things differently, go out and help other people and have some fun. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.